when I say metaverse, the metaverse, does that mean anything to you? I'm thinking Facebook and how they just changed their name to Meta. So I'm thinking social media. It's a way to experience and live and interact with people in a digital manner without physically physical interaction. Like real life, but virtually. Like you can buy property in the metaverse and you kind of like live your life. Like you can really like put your real life stuff into a kind of virtual kind of thing, right? Kind of like, I don't know, it just seems too, I don't know, too Black Mirror-ish for me. Have you heard of the metaverse before? No, I don't think so. Mid? No, never. What's it, what is it, metaverse? I think just like accepting that our world is like too fucked up and like making one online is just like giving up. Very, very apprehensive. I'm sitting in a park right now and I'm like, I'm very appreciative to be out in real life. <laughs> I mean, I think there's a lot of opportunity um, to be garnered through it. I think there's risk in reducing like interpersonal communication and especially younger generation, not learning how to interact with people in person. But I think from just like a experience perspective, it opens up a lot of doors. Great idea, I, I, I think. What is the metaverse? It's a question that's been on a lot of people's minds lately. And as we just heard, there are a lot of different ways to answer it. My name is Alexander Lee, and I'm a reporter for Digiday, covering gaming, esports, and, you guessed it, the metaverse. My name is Sarah Patterson, and I am confused. I'm also an audio producer here at Digiday. As Alex just said, he covers these things for a living. Alex is an expert. I'm constantly sending him links to these announcements for new VR experiences, and I feel like that confused anime guy meme. You know what I'm talking about? It's a guy pointing at what is clearly a butterfly, asking, is this a pigeon? And I feel like I am pointing to all of these things, and I am asking, is this the metaverse? That's a really good question. You can point to a lot of things and ask, is this the metaverse? And for some of them, the answer is yes. For some of them, the answer is partially yes. And for some, the answer is definitely no, even though that's what it might be calling itself. On this podcast, we're going to go deeper into the experiences that bring up that question and try to answer it. We'll talk to the people building these spaces and the people using them. And I'm hoping that through this, you will become a little less confused about all of it as well. Let's go back to the question that we asked people in the park. Alex. As our resident metaverse expert, what is the metaverse and why is everyone talking about it? I mean, no pressure, right? It's a big question. Uh, I think the simplest way to answer that is that the metaverse is an evolution of the internet that users can access in the form of a three-dimensional world instead of a series of two-dimensional web pages like the internet that we know right now. I think we both know that the reason why the word metaverse has been on everyone's mind lately is because of Facebook. The next platform and medium will be even more immersive, an embodied internet where you're in the experience, not just looking at it. And we call this the metaverse. So that clip is from over a year ago, when Mark Zuckerberg first announced that his company, Facebook, would be changing its name to Meta, and that it would be focusing on building out this more immersive vision for the internet. To me, it makes a lot of sense that Facebook would make this move. It's been almost 10 years since Facebook spent $2 billion to acquire Oculus VR, which at the time was one of the most advanced virtual reality headset manufacturers out there. 
Since then, the company has renamed the headset MetaQuest, and it has continued to be, I would say, by far the most accessible and popular consumer VR headset on the market. Apple's Vision Pro, which was announced in June, is arguably more advanced, but its $3,500 price tag means fewer people are going to be using it anytime soon. For a while, it was pretty unclear how these MetaQuest headsets would fit into the rest of Facebook's businesses. But these days, if you look at the way Mark Zuckerberg was talking about the acquisition back in 2014, it's pretty clear that something like the Metaverse was part of his plan all along. He said that immersive gaming will be first, but then it would become a platform for other experiences, like enjoying a courtside seat at a game, or studying in a classroom full of other people from all over the world just by putting on VR goggles. So fast forward to October 2021, Facebook is now Meta. A key point that I want to stress is that Meta is not building the Metaverse, despite what a lot of people might think. What the company is doing is building one specific corner of the Metaverse, an app that it's calling Horizon, which you can access on the MetaQuest headset. Here's more from Mark Zuckerberg's meta-announcement. And while this may sound like science fiction, we're starting to see a lot of these technologies coming together. In the next five or 10 years, a lot of this is going to be mainstream. And a lot of us will be creating and inhabiting worlds that are just as detailed and convincing as this one on a daily basis. So even though it's still a long way off, we're starting to work on some of these foundational concepts today. Horizon is the social platform that we're building for people to create and interact in the metaverse. All right, so Facebook, the company, not the website, has changed its name to Meta. Facebook, the website, not going anywhere. Meta owns the MetaQuest virtual reality headset, and on that MetaQuest VR headset, you can use an app called Horizon, which is where Meta's metaverse will live. The name change feels like a pretty clear sign to me of what direction this company wants to head in, but they aren't creating the metaverse because the very concept of the metaverse can't be tied to one thing. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like how Internet Explorer didn't create the whole entire internet. It just used that as their name because... It was a way of accessing it. Exactly. And Mark Zuckerberg is right when he says that all of this sounds like it's pulled from science fiction, because it very literally was pulled from the pages of science fiction. The concept of the metaverse has been a common theme in sci-fi for decades. All the hype around the metaverse over the last couple of years inspired me to reread the book where the term was originally coined in 1992, Snow Crash by Neil Stevenson. And let me tell you, this is not a story that was meant to be a blueprint for the real world. I mean, people in Snow Crash choose to spend time inside their metaverse because the real world around them is increasingly inhospitable, thanks to things like climate change and unbridled capitalism. There are people who spend their entire lives in VR headsets, who are called gargoyles in Snow Crash. And even in this world where the metaverse is a totally normal, everyday thing, gargoyles are still the butt of everyone's jokes. Don't get me wrong, Snow Crash is an incredible book, and it's just cool as hell all around. I've been a fan of it ever since I first read it in high school. And to be honest, that's a big reason why I decided to write about gaming and esports in the first place. When I first read Snow Crash, I was enthralled by this concept of a virtual world in which people could embody new identities and socialize with each other. And even back then, 
it became pretty clear to me that the closest thing to that then and now is video games. When I was a kid, I spent countless hours exploring 3D virtual worlds inside video games like Legend of Zelda and Minecraft. So my interest in the metaverse and in Snow Crash was in part the motivating factor behind my pursuit of a career in this industry in the first place. But that doesn't mean big tech should be taking cues from this book to build the next version of the internet. It reminds me of Ready Player One, which is another sci-fi novel that also has characters who log on to a virtual world via a VR headset in order to escape their increasingly inhospitable real life. Hmm. The metaverse of Ready Player One, though, is essentially one giant video game and is filled with pop culture references. So you can go to Middle Earth from Lord of the Rings. You can even go to some worlds from Dungeons and Dragons. I get the sense that the metaverse of Ready Player One is more along the lines of where we're heading now. I mean, we're already seeing the lines between gaming and real-life blur. Take something like NBA 2K, for example. With sports video games especially, you've always been able to play as real people. You play as an NBA team. You can be LeBron James, you can be Steph Curry, any of the superstars. Mm -hmm. But with a recent one, they've taken it to a whole new level. There's a commercial for a real-life insurance company. Right in the middle of it. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Jake from State Farm? Oh, you know I am. What's going on, man? What you what you doing here? I'm just doing some Jake from State Farm things. I, see I dig it, I dig it. <laughs> yeah. Listen, I'm excited to meet you, man. I'm a big fan. Yes, that is Jake, the State Farm insurance spokesman, as a character in NBA 2K. And not only is he a character that you interact with and talk to in the game's story mode, but you can also dress your character in the iconic State Farm red polo and khakis. Okay, so cringe-inducing commercial aspect aside, I think this clip kind of backs up my point that gaming is the closest thing to the metaverse right now. The location in NBA 2K, where users can encounter Jake from State Farm, is a place called The City. And it's exactly what it sounds like. It's a whole city of virtual stores and other areas where users can congregate without ever having to virtually play basketball, which is the whole point of the game. Wait, so you can play this NBA game and then never actually play basketball? That's right. And I mean, to me, the fact that this exists, this hangout area that is kind of obviously potential ad inventory for brands like State Farm, that's the exact vision of the metaverse that Meta is hoping to accomplish inside Horizon. And it's already happening in NBA 2K. Gaming is how a lot of people are going to step into the metaverse for the first time. It already has some of the most fully built out digital goods, the most active creator and developer communities, and major platforms like Epic are working to build out the metaverse, starting with gaming. For our part, we're heavily investing in building a healthy VR and AR ecosystem so the game studios can keep building and gaming creators can keep creating. Part of the reason why I'm so confused and I keep asking, is this the metaverse? Is that the metaverse? is that I don't quite understand what's new about any of this. I mean, a game where people socialize and play online, isn't that what something like World of Warcraft has been doing for almost 20 years now? Yeah, it's just a matter of scaling them up and improving the tech. 20 years ago, games like World of Warcraft were spaces where people could virtually come together and socialize. But they had significant limitations. Things like server size, latency, internet connection... These days, this is not nearly as much of a concern. In 2005, you could have maybe a few thousand people max on a World of Warcraft server, totaling perhaps 100,000 players at any given time. 
Nowadays, platforms like Roblox can have up to 20 million daily active users regularly. Right. You mean because we now have high-speed internet instead of dial-up, more people can log on and they can play these games with better graphics. That's right. And they aren't just playing games. They're putting on concerts. Artists like Lil Nas X and 21 Pilots have performed full virtual concerts. To some extent, everything about these platforms just looks and feels more real now. I would say in part because of the presence of real brands and advertisements and celebrities. And nowhere is that more prominent than in Roblox. What's up, Roblox? Thank you so much for having us. We got a few songs for you today. So let's do this. Roblox is perhaps the most popular metaverse platform out there today, even if you, the adult listening to this podcast, has never heard of it, because it's hugely popular among kids. In 2020, Roblox told The Verge that over half of American children under 16 had an account, at the very least. Imagine a whole world built with virtual Legos, in which users can customize their own spaces, and even turn them into homemade games, and then invite other users to come in and play them, or even purchase the items that they've made. That's what Roblox is. It's a sandbox world, populated almost entirely by children, in which they can build and share whatever they want. When I spoke to Craig Donato, the chief business officer at Roblox, he told me that the metaverse, or at least something like it, was actually part of Roblox co-founder Dave Bazuki's plans from the very beginning. You know, one of the things, if you go back to even the early slides that Dave put together to brief investors back in 2004, 2005, he talked about something called human co-experience, right? People coming together synchronously in immersive experiences to, to, to do things with each other. And that vision has really held us through. And, you know, when people used to say we were a gaming company, I would go, well, okay, you know, people are having fun, but it's not the typical definition of what happens in a game. It, these experiences typically aren't competitive. There's not a lot of rules. People just go in, they hang out, they do things together, right? So um, I think that we've very much been focused on putting together all the different pieces uh, for human co-experience, which I think now is, is a very similar definition of what people are calling the metaverse today. I like the phrase human co-experience instead of metaverse. Metaverse, it sounds cool. It sounds very futuristic. But it doesn't tell me what it is. Human co-experience, on the other hand, feels kind of like the term social network did back in the day. It gives me an idea of what to expect. They're building a platform that allows humans to experience something together, whether it's a game or a concert in a virtual space. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty cool, I think, that Craig and the other executives at Roblox don't seem to be hung up on the concept of gaming at all. And increasingly, they don't even use the word game to describe what Roblox is. Because gaming is sort of just the gateway into this stuff. But I think the end goal for platforms like Roblox, and also for Horizon, is really to evolve into something that scratches an itch that everyone has, not just gamers. I mean, he's really just reiterating what Mark Zuckerberg said in 2014 with the Oculus acquisition, right? Sure, we start out with gaming, that's the first step, but it's really about evolving these platforms into something more. Okay, so I think that was a pretty good summarization of the metaverse from you right now. So now that we've said some 
groundwork, I'm going to go back and put the same question that we talked about at the top of the episode to you now, because clearly you know what you're talking about. So, Sarah, can you give me a definition of the metaverse now? All right. My definition of the metaverse is that it is the next evolution of the internet that is all about immersing yourself into experiences that you share with other people. So rather than looking at two-dimensional web pages like we do now, the metaverse will be made up of three-dimensional worlds that we will most likely be using virtual reality to explore. Right now, video games are the best example of the metaverse because a lot of them have a big socializing aspect to them, and they tend to have these open-world environments. But gaming is not the endpoint, and if Mark Zuckerberg has his say, most parts of our lives will be experienced in the metaverse. Yeah, I mean, I think that's basically right on the money. My only caveat to what you said is that I don't want to lose sight of the fact that right now, what the metaverse tangibly is, is gaming. Almost full stop. I mean, the future is full of potential, and I think it's really exciting. But if we look at what people are describing as the metaverse right now, and where people are significantly spending time inside virtual spaces, those things are video games. But the important point is that human co-experience that Craig mentioned. And so, coming up after the break, actual human co-experience. Someone might have to live alone. Can I have a fancy house? Roblox is an online app um, on your device where you can uh, join a game and play with um, all your friends and you can chat with them in the game and there's a lot of games that you can play with on it. Mia is a 10-year-old Roblox power user. She and her friends call themselves the Swag Squad. They go on Roblox almost every day after school. It's their version of hanging out at the mall or the playground. So I text my friends, and usually we go on Roblox and we choose a game together because there's only like one or two people. But if it's more than two people, then we usually play like the games that we play, like Brookhaven or Flee the Facility. Brookhaven is basically the Roblox version of playing house. But instead of having an imaginary house, players can actually spend time inside a virtual neighborhood that looks a lot like a typical American suburb. Brookhaven is like in real life, like how you go to school and everything. It's kind of that, but just in a game and you get to do multiple more things than you do in real life. Like if you're my age, you can get a job in Brookhaven which is much more different than in real life. Brookhaven has a hospital, a school, a police station. You can meet up with friends and get coffee at the local diner. It doesn't have any missions. There are no in-game bosses that you can fight. All in all, Roblox players have complete freedom to explore Brookhaven as much as they want. If you log on at any given time, you'll probably see dozens of avatars running around giving each other gifts and decorating their houses. Typically, Roblox avatars are very boxy, and they have these big square heads, although the company is in the process of implementing more realistic ones. And just like about everything else on the platform, avatars are totally customizable. You can make them look as close to yourself as you want, 
Or if you're like Mia. Um, on Roblox, I kind of just wear what's kind of cute that I personally wouldn't wear in real life because I want to, like, try something else out. Like, I don't have blonde hair in real life, but in Roblox, I put on blonde hair. And I wear, like, jeans in Roblox, but I don't really wear jeans in real life. When I was Mia's age, I played in a very similar way. I played make-believe. I'd have friends over after school, and we would make up stories with my dollhouse. Mia and her friends are doing the same thing, just in a different way. Now, it's more like they are the dolls, and that immersive human co-experience aspect of Roblox lets them move around the dollhouse, or the doll neighborhood in this case. They do not have to be in the same place, and they are not at all limited to what toys they have in their houses. Like, if there's a baby in the game, then you can actually hold it, and there's actually a crib and baby things that are set up. But in real life, it's just not like that at all. Because of COVID, kids have had to learn how to interact with each other remotely. And it sounds like that's helped make the metaverse more a part of their lives whether or not they would actually use that word to describe it. I asked Mia the same question that we've been asking this whole episode. If she knew what the metaverse was. Um... And she didn't know. We watched the Swag Squad playing Roblox for about an hour. The entire time in the physical world, Mia was just sitting at her dining room table, staring down at her iPad, where she was talking to six friends on a Zoom call. Okay, this is my room. This is my room. Move. Dilly, we're sharing a room. No, I'm sitting in the crib. And over the course of that hour, Mia and her friends played like kids. I mean, they argued about who got which bed inside the virtual house. They teased each other. They threw virtual money at each other. According to Mia's mom, this had kind of become the soundtrack to her life during the COVID pandemic. This is Reed's room. No, that's Reed's room. She was already sleeping. At 10 years old, Mia is right inside the exact demographic that Roblox dominates. And what she told us about her time inside the platform lined up pretty well with what I heard from Craig, the Roblox CBO. You know, I remember like when my kids were growing up, um, and they're, they're in college now, but if I hand them a magazine, they'd grab the magazine and they'd try to scroll because they, they were, grew up with iPads. They, they didn't even understand how it worked. And kids these days, right, they've grown up with interactive gaming in the virtual world. And they're very comfortable socializing, right? So, you know, I think what I think of is us old people, we think there's the digital world and the physical world and they're distinct and separate. And actually the digital world is less than the physical world, right? And this new generation, like they're always in, they have one foot in both worlds, right? They view reality differently. And I think it really helped that Roblox, what I think of these as almost like metaverse natives, that those were our people, right? Those are the people that came on that we are, that we are growing up with. Right. So I think uh, I think those roots have really uh, have really benefited Roblox and really understanding this generation. I am 31 years old. I'm a couple of years older than Alex and a lot older than Mia. I am not what Craig would call metaverse native. I had never seen Roblox before. I don't think I'd even heard of it until Alex told me about it. I think this generational aspect of both Roblox and the metaverse in general is something we really can't gloss over when we talk about it. It's pretty clear that these days, the younger you get, the more natural these sort of metaverse experiences feel to you.
when Roblox was founded back in 2006, almost no one knew what the metaverse was. At the time, it just advertised itself as a video game for children. Roblox didn't care whether adults had any idea what it was. Uh, it was just a place for kids to congregate virtually. Now, things have totally changed. The metaverse is the buzzword of the year, and Roblox has experienced a massive influx in business, both from regular users, users in older demographics, and from brands that are looking to reach those users inside the platform. Years ago, we were experimenting with it, and we were doing activations for the entertainment industry. So, you know, the new Aquaman movie or the new Ready Player One movie. And rather than simply wanting to put um, banners on our site, what they really wanted to do is create an immersive experience that people could come in and experience the movie. They could swim around in, in Atlantis or, you know, ride around Ready Player One. And it had a huge engagement and people wanted to download items and, and we thought, you know, this is really fascinating that these brands, what, what they really want to do is find out a way to engage their community and create immersive experiences. And we thought, wow, that's that's fascinating. There is an opportunity to, to develop what we internally call branded worlds, right? Worlds where the IP and everything are all really dri driven by the band to create this kind of experiential connection with their community. I think this is fascinating. To me, it comes down to the fact that involving brands actually improves the realism of the games. Having real toys and real products, real brands inside the virtual world, in some ways brings it closer to the physical world. It sounds like Roblox is this immersive, open-world playground that gives designers the space to make pretty much whatever they want with unlimited creativity and allows kids to play all of these brand new games that are made just for them and their friends. So what I'm curious about are these branded experiences that you and Craig are talking about, where you can go into Atlantis as part of an Aquaman promotion. Why would I want to immerse myself in what I know is just a really impressive ad when I can play any other game on that platform? Great question, Sarah. And look, I mean, I don't think anyone logs into any video game and imagines themselves playing inside a giant commercial. So there are other ways that brands have sort of been able to weasel their way in without beating people over the head. One way is to plug themselves into games that are already popular on platforms like Roblox. So just as one example, uh, there's a very prominent cops and robbers game inside Roblox called Jailbreak, with millions of users logging in every month. But it's not inherently a brand experience, it's just a game. Last year, the developers of Jailbreak actually partnered with NASCAR so that the cars that players can drive inside the game became NASCAR vehicles. There's that floating uh, NASCAR logo above it just twirling around, and you can also see there's uh, the flags, the racing flags over there as well. I don't think something like that really negatively impacts the experience for any of the players. I mean, they're still playing the exact same game. But now, every time they play, they get that little spark in their brains that reminds them that, oh, NASCAR exists. So that's just one very straightforward example of a brand integrating itself into one of these virtual experiences. This feels sinister. It feels a little brainwashy. It feels very Josie and the Pussycats movie to me. Is there any proof that this kind of advertising actually works? So I can't speak to the NASCAR activation specifically, but... I can say that it's true that this kind of in-game advertisement can increase recognition of a brand. Let me just put my nerd glasses on for a second. So earlier this year, the Chinese telecom company Huawei did a study 
where it ran a series of in-game ads inside racing games that took the form of things like billboards and banners, the sort of real-life advertisements you'd see when driving around. They found that people who played the game were actually 7.6 times more likely to remember the Huawei brand than people who just saw standard web page ads. The second way that brands are able to convince people to spend time inside their Roblox experiences is by adding tangible utility to them. A lot of Roblox games will allow users to gain access to exclusive or limited time items that they can then carry from those experiences into others. There are Roblox items like virtual Nerf guns that just perfectly recreate the physical product inside the virtual world. Like I said earlier, I would say it is actually validating to some extent for players inside these games to see big brands and big intellectual properties show up inside them, as long as it doesn't negatively impact things. Having a real car or a real toy show up inside of Roblox improves the realism of the game, and it makes it feel more like the physical world. If done right, I'd say that this can even enhance the experience. Some Roblox games will give people access to benefits in the real world. Last year, there was a Chipotle experience that offered the first 100,000 users a free burrito if they completed a challenge inside the game. Even Mia and her friends in the Swag Squad tried to get in on it. Um, a, a free burrito, a free burrito from Chipotle. It was a free burrito, so 14 million people joined. And then all Roblox got shut down. Lastly, there are brands that allow people to buy virtual versions of their clothes in Roblox and then get a discount code to purchase a real-life version of the same garment. Forever 21 does this, for example. And there are actually some garments that Forever 21 sells in real life that started out as Roblox exclusives. Okay, so it gives legitimacy to the games. It gives Roblox some ad revenue. It allows brands to reach a really engaged audience that they otherwise wouldn't. And it lets them send kind of subliminal messages to the children playing their game that NASCAR is cool. You want to play NASCAR. You want to watch NASCAR on television right now. What worries me, though, is just how much these branded experiences remind me of Ready Player One. Craig even told us that Roblox did marketing for the movie in 2018. A whole virtual universe. People come to the Oasis for all the things they can do, but they stay because of all the things they can be. It's a story that takes place in a world where pollution and climate change and mass poverty has made real life so dangerous and so inhospitable that people have to escape by putting on a VR headset and spending their time in a virtual world that is filled with pop culture references. Sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it? <laughs> it feels ironic to me that these tech giants, the Mark Zuckerbergs of the world, are pulling from this and from Snow Crash, you know, these pieces of dystopian fiction, and they're learning completely the wrong lessons from them. That is definitely one of the reasons why I've been a little hesitant to embrace the metaverse. All I can think is... Why are we building a brand new virtual world to escape the real world instead of working to make our real one better? And Brian Merchant agrees with me. If you look out the window on a given day in California, you're going to see wildfires. You're going to see 
expanding homeless encampments because we have these soaring levels of wealth inequality. We have a pandemic outside. You have to stay inside. It's a really sort of grim time in a lot of ways. Brian is a journalist and a tech writer. He's written very skeptically about the metaverse for publications like Vice and The Atlantic. And then to say, like, we want to do the metaverse and we want you to work from home and put on these goggles and pretend everything is okay outside of this. We want you to be able to escape into this and sort of funnel all of your attention into this digital world that we will uh, we will govern, by the way, and we will force you to buy all the pieces necessary to enter it. It will be a completely uh, for-profit, uh, deeply commodified world. I can't, you know, you're just building a cyberpunk novel. Like, it is, like, the conditions are replicated to a T. So I, I, I did like I, I did have a lot of flags kind of go up when, you know, Mark Zuckerberg was making the rounds last year saying like, oh yeah, it's the metaverse. And, you know, he's talked before about how he, you know, was really you know, sort of inspired by this sort of source material in uh, when he was when he was much younger. Um, and sa- same with Ready Player One, which is also sort of like, it's kind of like a refreshing of the same basic idea, but with m- more pop culture references and um, a more Spielbergian bent. In the Oculus division, he he had to give out copies of the book when they would come on. Um, and I don't know if that originated with him or with the with, with, with Palmer Lucky or what, but that was a policy that when you go to work at Oculus, you get a copy of Ready Player One. Again, this dystopian sort of, uh, the world is garbage outside your outside your door, so stay inside. You put on the goggles, escape into this world filled with, you know, pop cultural ephemera. All right, so the similarities I'm noticing between Ready Player One and the metaverse are not a coincidence. Not at all. Like Brian said, it was Palmer Lucky, the guy who created the technology behind Meta's VR headsets, who originally required every employee of Oculus to read Ready Player One. And he even invited the author of the book, Ernest Klein, to come test out an early version of the headset. Brian had a lot more to say about this, so I'm just going to let him take it away. In a perfect world, yeah, a 3D environment where you have the potential to have all these amazing experiences and to have really sort of inclusive and safe spaces for your friends and where uh, vulnerable communities can thrive. Yes, the metaverse could be could be fantastic. It could be some, you know, version of that, you know, utopian dream of what the web was always supposed to be, except more immersive. If Facebook is the engine that is driving us to the metaverse, then we're in trouble. I don't think anybody would really seriously doubt that. Um, We have seen already, we have lots of evidence for how Facebook has chosen to govern its massive and extremely influential social media platform. And nothing, and I repeat nothing, about that body of evidence suggests that they would be able to capably govern or implement policies that would make a metaverse a safe and much less, like, liberatory uh, environment. Brian can be referring to any number of issues that Facebook has had over its lifetime. The first one that comes to mind for me is the Cambridge Analytica scandal, where millions of people had their data collected without their consent and used to aid political campaigns, including Donald Trump's in 2016. A few years later, in 2021, the Wall Street Journal published The Facebook Files, 
A series of investigations based on a review of internal Facebook documents provided to them by whistleblower Francis Haugen. And some of those findings make me hesitant to believe that Meta could ever create a metaverse that is safe and accessible and actually benefits society. In 2018, Facebook changed their algorithm to encourage what they call meaningful social interactions, which meant that posts that had more engagement would be featured higher on people's news feeds when they logged on to the site. Here's Francis Haugen in an interview to CBS's 60 Minutes. And one of the consequences of how Facebook is picking out that content today is it is optimizing for content that gets engagement or reaction. But its own research is showing that content that is hateful, that is divisive, that is polarizing, it's easier to inspire people to anger than it is to other emotions. If you spend any time on the internet, you probably know that it's not a new job announcement or a photo with friends that gets those kinds of reactions. So based on how this algorithm worked, users would be rewarded for posting content that was polarizing and made people angry. There was also some internal research that reportedly showed that Instagram, which is also owned by Meta, has had a negative impact on young people, specifically when it comes to body image and social comparison for teenagers, which, as we heard from Craig, is who will make up a majority of users in the metaverse. Here's Frances again, this time from her testimony before the Senate Commerce Committee. Facebook understands that if they want to continue to grow, they have to find new users. They have to make sure that that the next generation is just as engaged with Instagram as the current one. Um, and the way they'll do that is by making sure that children establish habits before they have good self-regulation. By hooking kids. By hooking kids. I would like to emphasize one of the documents that we sent in on problematic use examined the rates of problematic use by age, and that peaked with 14-year-olds. It's, it's just like cigarettes. Teenagers don't have good self-regulation. They say explicitly, I feel bad when I use Instagram, and yet I can't stop. Um, we need to protect the kids. 14 years old. That's Mia and her friends in just a few years. So yeah, I'm with Brian there. If Facebook is the one leading the charge into the metaverse, I'm a little worried. I mean, far be it for me to be the defender of Facebook. And honestly, I think those are all totally fair reservations to have. It's become pretty clear also over the past year that you and Brian are far from the only people who share these concerns. We know through the process of researching this podcast that Facebook is not the only company building the metaverse, but most people don't seem to realize that. And at this point, it feels like Facebook's involvement has almost irreversibly damaged the average person's view of what the metaverse is or could be. You mean because they changed their name to Meta and so many people are assuming that they're creating the whole concept, the fact that Horizon has been, let's say, less than successful could possibly turn people off of the entire idea of the metaverse completely. Yeah, I mean, anecdotally, I work from home and I am constantly sitting in my living room interviewing people. I'm saying the word metaverse, 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 day in, day out. A few months ago, my roommate, who is a close friend of mine, came out of her room and said, geez, you're just really writing about the worst people in the world, aren't you? And I was like, what? 
what are you talking about? I'm just writing about people playing Roblox and cool stuff like that. But she assumed that every time I said metaverse, it was a direct reference to the product being made by Meta slash Facebook because she just didn't know any better. To go back to your earlier point about Internet Explorer, I mean, imagine that Microsoft changed their entire name to Internet in 1995 and then made a dystopian product that most people didn't like. You'd be pretty hesitant to use anything that called itself the Internet in the future. This seems to be backed up by the numbers. When virtual environments are built with a pie-in-the-sky vision for the metaverse, it just doesn't seem to work at the moment. Despite the millions of dollars that people have pumped into virtual property on platforms like Decentraland, for example, Decentraland often has only a few hundred people exploring it at any given time. And some reports have indicated that even meta employees, who are the people who should be the day one pioneers of Horizon, are purposely choosing not to work inside the platform because they prefer to use things like Zoom or in-person meetings instead. Yeah, that's not surprising to me. I've noticed personally over the last couple of years that I've been spending less time online and specifically less time socializing online. Five, ten years ago, Tumblr, Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, that was how I kept in touch with probably everyone I've ever met in my entire life. But now I haven't thought about Tumblr in years most of my friends will post something to their Instagram grid maybe once every couple of months. And I honestly can't remember the last time that I used Facebook to actually interact with someone. These platforms building out the metaverse seem to rely on users fully immersing themselves into it for socializing, for working, for entertainment. And two years ago, at the height of COVID, Spending my whole life online seemed unavoidable. So I do understand why so many people bought into this idea. But now that I'm vaccinated and I feel more comfortable traveling or going to a concert or to a big wedding, doing any of that virtually with a headset strapped across my face is pretty much the last thing that I would ever want to do. I am a gamer. It is always how I've interacted with technology. Before I ever used the internet, I was playing Legend of Zelda on my GameCube. I want the internet to feel more like a video game. I want to have one persistent avatar that looks like me and represents me that I can use across all websites. I think this sense of exploration is how a lot of people feel about the internet. Just look at the platforms that people gravitated towards in the early days of the web. Things like Club Penguin or RuneScape or even Habbo Hotel. These were the precursors to the metaverse, online spaces that existed just to hang out in a way that felt more embodied or game-like than chat rooms. There are still diehard users who spend their lives inside these platforms. Last year, we saw all these headlines. College graduations in the metaverse. Weddings in the metaverse. But all of that has already happened in games. People have gotten married in World of Warcraft. They've made lifelong friendships in Minecraft. They make their living working in Roblox. For these people, the metaverse is already here. Despite my skepticism and my hesitancy to go headfirst into VR, it seems like these companies are determined to really make the metaverse a thing. So I want to learn more. I am intrigued by the possibilities of the metaverse, but I am still confused by what it actually is. And I think you, Alex, are the perfect person to enlighten me. You flatter me, Sarah. You flatter me. 
Uh, and I'm glad you feel that way, because that is exactly what we're going to be doing. Every week, we're going to look at a different aspect of the physical world or physical society that is getting translated into the metaverse. We're going to look at things like concerts, fitness, and co-working. And we're going to talk to the people who are trying to accomplish this translation. Is This the Metaverse is a podcast by Digiday Media. It was written and reported by Alexander Lee and Sarah Patterson. It was produced by Sarah Patterson and edited by Ben Elman.